have to say, the, um, uh, my, the message I'm about to give this morning has already been put to the test. I'm very grateful to, uh, to Emma for having an identical Bible to mine. Uh, and when it was just popped down upstairs for thinking my Bible was hers with sermon inside uh, and walking off with it. Uh, so for a brief couple of minutes this morning, uh, do not worry is the theory of the sermon, is the uh, message for the sermon. Uh, when I didn't have a sermon for a couple of moments this morning, uh, I was panicking uh, slightly. So I think perhaps I've already failed uh, the first test of what I'm about uh, to preach to you. Uh, I wonder how many times someone has said to you, do not worry or in what context people have said, don't worry. Maybe you haven't done something that you should have done. Maybe that's in the context of work. Maybe that's at home. You haven't done something you should have done. Uh, if you've got uh, an understanding boss or an understanding family, they might say, okay, don't worry about it. Don't worry. Maybe you're, uh, you've been facing in your life a time of worry or a time of stress or a time of anxiety, and people always come to that with you with that helpful advice, don't they? Don't worry. Thanks for that. Uh, or maybe someone's, uh, someone's um, kindly helped you in some way, uh, and as you show your appreciation by thanking them, uh, maybe just a little, no worries, no problem, is what you might respond with. Maybe, uh, maybe when you think about no worry, uh, or no worries. You think uh, about, uh, about some songs. Hakuna Matata came to mind. Means no worries for the rest of your days. Maybe a couple of Bob Marley uh, examples. Don't you worry about a little everything because every little thing's gonna be all right. Uh, or, or maybe don't worry, be happy. Theme throughout uh, these things of not worrying. Maybe within the context of, uh, of church or church family, when you've been uh, struggling with something, uh, a Christian brother or sister might come to you and say, don't worry, follow that with that line that's always helpful, God's got it all in control. It's true, it's true. Not always, uh, not always the thing that we're ready to receive and hear at that time, is it? But it is true. And we're going to be looking at Luke 12 this morning as we continue our journey through the Gospel uh, of Luke. Do turn to Luke chapter 12 if you've got your Bible uh, with you. It will appear up on the screen um, shortly as well. As we've been journeying through Luke over the past, um, uh, the past few weeks over through this, uh, this passage, the start of the chapter, uh, we read about the, there was a crowd of many thousands uh, that are gathered uh, and some of that crowd talked to Jesus. Uh, they, they asked his, um, to tell his brother to divide his inheritance with them. Uh, and that led us into thinking a few weeks ago about the parable of the rich fool. As we uh, thought about that parable, that story with a meaning, uh, the, the, the rich fool had that abundant harvest, didn't he? And he decided to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry before dying that night. Jesus warns us, doesn't he, to be on our guard about greed and about an abundance of possessions. And then we have at the start of the passage that we're going to read together this morning that word, then, then, Jesus said to his disciples. Often that means sort of consequently or subsequently or after that. Sometimes it also helps us to think, well, what's come before? So that's the little review, because what's come before will help us in understanding this morning's passage. So let's read together. I'm going to read, uh, I'm reading from the NIV, Luke 12, 22 through to 34. It's on the screen there as well. 
for you. It says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They, know, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Father, thank you for your words. As we open them and study them this morning, we pray that you would inspire, that you would encourage, and that you would challenge us through the power of your Spirit. Amen. Uh, perhaps some of you noticed as we read through uh, that passage together, uh, the echoes of Matthew 6, of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and it's quite striking, as you read through the passage, the similarities that there are between this, uh, this little section here and, um, and the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus talks in both about not storing up treasures on earth, talks in uh, the Sermon on the Mount about not serving God and money, and here we read about selling our possessions talk in both, uh, in both passages about how the Father feeds the birds. Why do you worry about clothing? Who, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Both happen, uh, both are recorded in the Sermon on the Mount, but also in this passage here. There's no uh, suggestion that this is the same message, uh, but preachers, and we all do it, uh, we, uh, we use material that we've used before and we use it again. I'm not saying that we, uh, that we haven't prepared for each sermon, but if there's points that, uh, that we believe that God wants to make, if there's points in Scripture, then of course we're going to make them again. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's certainly good enough for us. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's using some of the uh, examples that he gave in the Sermon on the Mount and he's using them again for this uh, different audience I wonder if you were counting as we went through uh, the number of times that little phrase or something uh, similar to it, do not worry, uh, appears in this, in this passage. As we flick through, verse 22 uh, in the NIV says, do not worry. Verse 25 asks that question, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life or to your life? Verse 26, why do you worry? Verse 29, do not worry. I think we might be getting a point here that Jesus is keen for us not to be worrying. Worry, anxiety, words often used interchangeably. So this is the main point of this passage. That's why uh, in the NIV it's been given that little title, 
that just says, do not worry. The title has been given, of course, at a later date. It wasn't in the original manuscript. But those titles are often uh, gives us a really good idea as to what is going to come through the rest of the passage. Four times throughout this passage, we hear Jesus telling us, do not worry, or asking us why we are worrying. And there are two things specifically in this passage uh, that Jesus speaks, uh, speaks into. Firstly, what you will eat, and secondly, what you will wear. And Jesus gives us, uh, from the natural world, an example of both. Let's look at verse 23 and 24. It says this. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And then we look at that first example. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. Ravens don't sow. Ravens don't reap. Ravens don't have barns or storehouses in which to uh, uh, contain their, um, uh, their, what uh, anything that's been planted, yet they are fed. Don't reap, don't sow, don't plant, no storehouses, but they are fed. And what does then Jesus tell us? How much more valuable you are than birds. If God is going to feed the birds, how much more will he feed us? And then the second example from verses 27 and 28. We're looking at clothing, and here we are considering the wild flowers. What don't they do? They don't labor. They don't spin. They don't uh, provide anything for themselves, yet they are clothed in beauty. They are dressed in more beauty than Solomon in all of his splendor and finery. They're alive to get today and tomorrow they're tossed into the fire. How much more will we be clothed than, uh, than, the, uh, than the flowers of the field? Why is this? Well, we can go back to the very start of Scripture, can't we, to help us with our understanding uh, of this. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that we are made in God's image. So the premise is clear. You're more valuable than flowers. You're more valuable than birds. Because in Genesis 1, it tells us we were made in God's image, and it tells us that as humans, we should be ruling over the flowers and uh, the, uh, so the, the wildlife that God has created. From the very start of Scripture, we can see that we are valuable. It's our job to rule over the wildlife. How much more does God care for us? I want to take a brief aside from uh, continuing through the passage and the main theme of the passage. Because I really believe that God wants to tell someone here this morning that you are valuable. You are loved. Maybe there's someone here this morning who's really struggling with that, struggling to understand that Almighty God would look on me with love. God sees what goes on in our hearts. God sees what's inside us. God sees our sin, but we are valuable and we are loved. You are more valuable and cared for than the birds. God clothes you with more beauty than the flowers of the fields. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you afterwards. 
if you're struggling with that sense of value, with that sense of self-worth, please come and see me in the prayer corner. God loves you. God values you. And you are so precious to him. Then in the middle of these examples, it's easy to skip over verse 25. We've looked at uh, those examples from before that Jesus talks about how he will feed us more than the ravens, how we'll be clothed more than the flowers of the fields. And then verse 25 tells us this. Who of you, or asks us rather, who of you, by worrying, can add an hour to his life? Some of the uh, some manuscripts uh, say it, uh, say who can uh, who by worrying can add a cubit to his height. Slightly more uh, archaic. Either way, what's the point? There is no point in worrying. Doesn't add anything to your height. Doesn't add an hour to your life. It does no good. Worrying does not help you. Maybe for us, those uh, examples of food and clothing, maybe they're not things that we do worry about for ourselves. I have to be honest, I don't think there's been a time in my life where I've thought, do you know what, I'm not really sure where my next meal is coming from. There's not really been a time in my, in my life where I'm not sure what I'm going to wear. I think there's been time in my wife's life where she's been not sure about what I'm going to wear, but that's a very different story. So maybe we struggle to comprehend what that would mean. What does it mean to not worry about food and clothing? Well, of course I don't worry about it because I've got a full fridge at home and I've got a wardrobe full of clothes. It's not a problem. Maybe that's true for some of us. That's certainly not true for all. Maybe for you, it's more, or more of a worry, is can I maintain that lifestyle? Can I maintain the clothes that I wear? Can I maintain uh, the habits that I'm in, in terms of eating? Can I keep that up? Or am I worried financially about not being able to do that? Certainly for others, in this country, in this town, and further afield, those worries about food and clothing are real. But it's not just food and drink that Jesus tells us not to worry about. In this passage, they're the two points that he's particularly trying to make uh, to us. Maybe there's other things that are causes of worry or anxiety or fear for you. Through um, our, in our home groups, we've been working through the Discipleship Explored uh, series. If you want to get involved in a home group, Jeremy at the back here will be delighted to, uh, to um, hook you up with one. Uh, and uh, we've been working through the book of Philippians. Philippians 4 tells us this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by pet prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about what, you have to wear, about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. Because we have a God who is faithful and cares for us. Maybe for you the concerns aren't about food and clothes. Maybe it is financial. Where's next month's rent coming from? Can't afford to pay the mortgage? How am I going to pay that bill on the car while the washing machine's just broken? Maybe that is a worry for you. 
Maybe it's about the security of your job. You need more hours. People are going through redundancy in your place of work. Maybe that's a worry for you. Maybe you worry about loved ones, loved ones facing uh, ill health, facing uh, insecurity, facing challenges in their lives. Maybe that's a worry for you. Maybe it's loved ones who won't be with you for much longer and you worry about them. Maybe as parents, you worry about the world in which you're, you're going to have to be raising your children. As we look at the different issues that are, that are present in society, maybe that's a worry for you. Maybe you worry about the church, the global church, and the issues of persecution facing the church. Maybe you look at some of the issues, uh, in particular denominations of the church in this country, and worry that the church is moving away from the word of God. Maybe those issues that society faces are a worry for you. We could go on, couldn't we? I'm sure if we went round the room, we could all give different examples of things that can cause us worry. It's okay to have concern about those things. There's a difference between having concern and being concerned. Of course, we're going to be thinking about those things. But let's not own that concern. What does God tell us to, uh, to us to, uh, sorry, what does Paul tell us to do here? In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And we don't do that so that God knows or so that God understands. He knows already, he understands already. We don't need to tell God, do you know what's happening in my life? It's really bad. These are all the things that are worrying me. You just don't understand. God knows. God understands. He understands all of our concerns. He understands all of our worries. He gets it. His son, the Lord Jesus, came to earth and faced all, uh, so many different uh, trials. But I'm sure even the most trusting of us, by praying, by giving those concerns over to God, we're deepening our relationship with him as we do so. And by telling him those worries, those concerns, by praying to him, hopefully that will release them from you. And we can look throughout scripture, can't we? There's countless examples uh, throughout the Old Testament of being, people being told not to worry, not be afraid, don't be discouraged. Think about Joshua, installed as leader as the Israelites following Moses' death. What is he told? Do not be afraid. God is with you. I just want to pause here in the middle of this message just to give you just 30 seconds in the quiet to think about those things that are causing you worry or anxiety in your life. Maybe it's some of those things that I've just listed this morning. Maybe it's others. 1 Peter tells us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for you. Just in the quiet of the next 30 seconds, take time to cast your anxieties and your worries onto him.
Heavenly Father, please take these anxieties, these concerns, these worries that we've laid before you. And in their place, we pray that you would give us the peace that passes all understanding. Amen. If there's particular things that, uh, that the Holy Spirit has prompted you to be reminded of or, or things that are weighing heavily on your heart at the moment, please come and join the prayer team after the service who would only be too pleased to pray for you that you would be released from those and that Philippians 4 peace that passes all understanding, that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind Why don't we have to worry? Well, Jesus tells us not to. We have a God who is faithful. We have a God who provides everything that we need. We have a God who will never let us down. We have a God who sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Therefore, friends, don't worry. Let's move on. Alison, can we have the next uh, point up? Please, as we uh, move on to the, um, uh, towards the end of the passage, uh, verse 32 says this. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Such a rich verse. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your, cu- your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Firstly, we're we're told, do not be afraid. It's a slightly different word uh, from that word worry. Uh, The the word is phobos, from which we get phobia or fear. And Jesus here tells the flock not to be afraid. Do not be afraid, little flock. It's an interesting choice, isn't it? Little flock. If we're thinking about sheep, we're thinking about perhaps their timidity. We're thinking perhaps uh, about the fact that they're small, perhaps insignificant, perhaps have reason to feel afraid because uh, of enemies. It doesn't say, do not, uh, do not fear, do not be afraid. Roaring lions, does it? Do not be afraid, little flock. But if we are the flock, then Jesus, of course, is the shepherd. Do not be afraid, little flock. Why? Well, that little word in there, for, tells us why. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock. We've got a shepherd. Your father. Not only do we have a shepherd, we also have a father. God, our father. When children are worried or concerned about things, what do they so often do? They run to their father. They run to his feet. They seek protection in him. When you're walking through a crowded area, I'm sure your children grab, or or grandchildren, or nieces or nephews grab onto your hand slightly more tightly, and you probably grab onto theirs slightly more tightly as well, because they want to know the safety and the security of knowing you there. Maybe it's at night time, and they're worried in their room, and just that comforting touch of a father knowing that he's there helps us. We have a shepherd. We have a father. And what does it say about the father? Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Kingdom, therefore we've got a king as well. We've got a shepherd. We've got a father. We've got a king. 
The shepherd tells us that we don't need to be afraid. The father cares for us. And the king takes delight in giving us the kingdom. I'm sure some of us, at times, have given, uh, given gifts to people, maybe, dare I even say it on Father's Day, uh, begrudgingly, out of duty, because I have to, because it's the right thing to do. It's not the case here, is it? Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It's not a gift given out of duty. It's not a gift given out of obligation. It's a gift given out of joy. The father is pleased to give us the kingdom. Do not be afraid because we have a shepherd, because we have uh, a father, and because we have a king. And what do we not need to be afraid about? Well, it says, sell your possessions and give to the poor in verse 33. So one of the things that we don't need to fear is giving to the needy. It's the right thing to do. Don't be afraid of, giving a, of being a giver. I've entitled it here, Be Willing to Give Generously. Jesus takes delight, is pleased to give us his kingdom. Surely we should be pleased to give some of what we have to those who are in need. The, the context in which sell your possessions uh, is written here um, is perhaps more, uh, perhaps more to do with a traveller uh, who's, who's on the road, who doesn't have any money but actually has something they can sell in order to give to somebody in need. And the point, as Craig so uh, helpfully made a few weeks ago, having possessions isn't in and of itself a bad thing. But we should hold them lightly. After all, whose are they? Here today and gone tomorrow? When we need to give, we should be willing to do that. To do so, we should be generous, compassionate members of the flock, family and kingdom that are referred to there in verse 32. One of the uh, things I was struck by as we um, went through this discipleship explored course in our, our home group uh, was the excuse me, uh, was the, um, uh, the challenge of uh, a survey was done uh, of how much money is needed to realise the American dream. Those who earn $25,000, they thought it would take $54,000 to, uh, to, to be able to meet the uh, American dream. Those who earned 100000 192000 they thought it would take to uh, be able to live the American dream. One scholar tells of how a Roman had a say, the Romans had a saying, money is like seawater. The more a man drank, the thirstier he became. Can't satisfy, can it, money? Having possessions is okay. Having idols is not. Sermon on the Mount, what does it say? It tells us, you cannot serve both God and money. Don't be anxious about what you'd eat, drink or wear things that money can buy, by focusing on money, we're cutting ourselves off from God because we can't focus on, on both. If we're just focusing on money, our distract, or, or in some way focusing on money, our distraction is being taken away from our relationship with God. How willing are we to sell what we have or give what we have to the poor? 
Now, the, the, the figures used um, for this next little example uh, are different from, from where, where you read, but the, the, the idea is the same. John Wesley, I'm sure many of you have heard the, the story before, the founder of Methodism, he had two aims when it came to money, save all you can and then give all you can. And when he was earning 30 pounds, he lived on 28 and gave away two. That's what he could afford to give. When his wage increased to 60, he lived on 28 and gave away 32. When his wage increased to 90, he lived on 28 and gave away 62. The challenge there, isn't there? Paul reminds us in Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, it says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver who gives from the generosity of their heart, not out of embarrassment, not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, and that's not, I want, not what I want the challenge to be this morning. I don't when you go in a way so you think, oh, I feel a little bit embarrassed about how much I give because of what was preached. No, God wants you to give cheerfully and willingly. How willing are we to do that? when there's natural disasters and the appeals come across the TV and then on the news? Are we willing to give something to those in particular need at that time? Wasn't it great when a few months ago Craig challenged us about that Beeson box that uh, sits outside there this morning and then the next week it was almost overflowing? Now it may be that Freed has become more efficient and is emptying it more regularly. But I think perhaps not. I think perhaps we rose to the challenge initially, and then maybe have we forgotten? How can we meet that need of those within our local community? If every person brings one thing, Frida will be emptying that box every week to be the carful. Is that too much to ask? I've been challenged in my preparation for this morning and in conversations that I've had uh, this week as well about how we can be supporting those uh, in need and as a direct uh, result of, of my preparation. And I don't say this to blow my own trumpet. I say this because God changes us through his word. As a family, we're going to start supporting a sponsor child. I know many of you do that uh, already. I've thought about those in need. What can we do? Such a simple thing that we could do. And in Mark 12, we read, don't we, about the, the widow who just gives her last couple of pennies. Not much, perhaps, to some of us, but so much to her. Are we giving sacrificially? What about our willingness to give to the church? Are we willing to do that? I wonder when you last reviewed your level of giving to the church. I wonder if you've had a pay rise since then. I appreciate cost of living is going up. I appreciate there's all sorts of challenges around this. But God asks for our first fruits, doesn't he? Not just what's left over. It should be what we're giving first. When people become members of the church, one of the things that we ask them uh, to do is to contribute financially according to their means. For different people, that is different amounts. But there's a challenge there, isn't there? If you consider welcome to be your home, if you consider welcome to be your church family, can I challenge you and encourage you to be giving financially towards the work here?
as most of you know, at the moment we're prayerfully considering what we uh, do in here on a Sunday morning. What a joy it is, again, to have people standing, people sitting on benches that we've squeezed into every, partic- every uh, tiny space in the church building. And so as a church, we're prayerfully considering the options as to how we uh, increase capacity, whether we uh, look to plant, whether we look to move premises, or whether we look to develop the premises that we have here. Each of those things will cost. Whichever we choose to do, there's going to be a financial cost involved, and a lot of that cost is going to have to come from the people sitting in this building this morning. Of course, we want to build God's kingdom, but how willing are we to put our hands in our pockets and say, actually, if we want God's kingdom to expand here, we need more space. We need to be giving. Are we willing to do that? There's a challenge for us all. Thanks, Alison. Can we have a third point, please? But in all that, let's seek the treasure that will last eternally. Look at verses 33 and 34 with me. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. We've thought about that. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Excuse me. One commentator said this, as followers of Christ, we should reject, reject the anxious pursuits of the world and seek the treasure of the kingdom of God. Provide purses. Sometimes, uh, sometimes um, it's called, uh, uh, what was the phrase? Money bags. Uh, money bags, purses. That doesn't mean pop down to the market when it's open or pop to uh, wherever you go to buy a new purse and get yourself a nice new leather purse that's going to last a long time. Something that will last eternally. The treasure in heaven that we have in a relationship with the Lord Jesus, the treasure in heaven that we'll have one day when we see him face to face, will never fail. Time will not allow it to become worthless. It will not be lost. It will not be stolen. It cannot be ruined. It cannot run out. This is the treasure for those of us who've put our trust in the Lord Jesus. Treasure here on earth, but treasure eternally in heaven. The glorious riches of that inheritance that we as Christians have in the Lord Jesus. The end of Philippians, again through our discipleship explored, we thought this week about about what is true contentment. How can we be content? I'd be interested in in the thoughts that you had as your home group, perhaps over a picnic, picnic this afternoon. Uh, when we were discussing it together on, uh, on Wednesday evening, we perhaps thought that for some of us that changed over time. When we were younger, we had different things that we thought would provide us contentment to, uh, to when uh, we got a little bit older. Maybe uh, for you it's that desire to have that relationship, significant relationship, marriage. Maybe it's a pay rise, new job, bigger house, bigger garden, pet whatever it might be that you think will provide that, that provide that true contentment. I'm not saying any of these things are bad things, but they won't provide you with true contentment. Only Jesus 
can do that. As Christians, we believe that the Bible talks about sin. The Bible tells us about things that we have done wrong. We've all done it. Whatever uh, things that we have done in our life where we have fallen short, things that we shouldn't have done, we are all sinful human beings, and therefore we all need a saviour. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. The only person to have ever done so. What was his, uh, what was his reward for doing that? Nailed to death on a cross. The only sinless person that's ever lived was crucified. And as he was crucified, the t- temple in the curtain tore in two from top to bottom. The sinful lives that, lives that we lived, suddenly we had access to God, direct access to God that our sin prevented us from having before. And through what the Lord Jesus has done, we are forgiven. If you put your trust in him to be your saviour. If you haven't done that, friends, can I urge you to do that this morning? If you haven't put your trust in the Lord Jesus as your saviour, as the one who can forgive you from all sin, let this morning be the time where you do that. And as we seek that eternal treasure in heaven, we will reap the rewards here on earth too. The Lord's Prayer, we pray this, don't you? Don't we? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's will to be done here on earth as we seek that eternal treasure that one day we will receive in heaven. If you're seeking after these other things, let me tell you now, they won't satisfy. Only the Lord Jesus can do that. We have a priceless, eternal treasure that gives us joy deep in our hearts that only comes through faith in the Lord Jesus. Let's just remind ourselves of those things that we've looked at this morning. Firstly, we thought about not worrying. We thought about having a God that provides everything that we need and the fact that we can give our anxieties and worries over to him. Maybe you need to uh, go to the prayer uh, team this morning to come and pray with you about that. Steve, can I invite you in the band to come up? Maybe that thought about uh, being, uh, being valued, being loved by God was something that struck a chord with you this morning. Maybe you don't feel loved. Maybe you don't feel valued. But let's remember that God loves you even though he sees the sin in our hearts. If that's you this morning, again, please come and be prayed for after the service. And then we had that challenge, didn't we? Are we willing to sell our possessions, to give to the poor, to be generous givers? And finally... Let's not seek the things that the world tells us to seek after. Let's seek the eternal treasure that will last. And if you haven't given your life to the Lord Jesus, accepted that you are sinful and need a saviour, I urge you to do that this morning. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do not need to worry because you are a faithful God who provides everything that we need. Help us to give our worries and anxieties over to you and trust in you to provide for us. Father, we thank you for the challenge that you've given us this morning about giving generously and our willingness to do that. If that's something you want to impress on our hearts, we pray that you would remind us of that over the course of this week and we would be looking as to how we can be giving generously to those in need. And finally, Father, we, uh, we pray that you would help us to seek treasure, the treasure that can be found in you alone. And for those that have not yet made that step, that commitment to put their trust in you and in your Son, the Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open their eyes to see that this morning, to see their sinfulness and their need for a Saviour. Amen.